Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com. The following program, the standard of a beleaguered and tempest-tossed industry, is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. The guy sitting next to me here is Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact-checker and co-host. And on the phone, a woman from behind the chain-link fence, Judith A. Yates. Hey, Judith. How you doing, honey? Hey, what's happening? I have the flu, but I'm here. You have the flu. Uh, Okay, you have to show your vax card before you can enter the show. (laughs) Hold it up to the telephone. Can you see? I am the most unhealthy person I know. I think on my gravestone it's going to say finally because I just... (laughs) They've been waiting hour by hour, day by day. Slowly she turned. (laughs) Uh, well, criminologist, true crime writer, Bon Vivant, a rac- uh, raconteur with a rack on top. <laughs> and a nice rack it is. You- I heard that. <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> Couldn't resist. I love the picture of you behind the chain link fence. You look like you're a wanted person who got caught. I have that picture That's- of you, you know. Yeah, I bet you do. And yeah. Burl better stop calling me Andrea Yates because I get creepier mail when he puts that up there. Oh, I do? All right. Yes. Hey, uh, Burl, I think it's Judith. Yeah? Yeah. She gets she gets onto his mail? <laughs> I don't know. I get really creepy stuff. I yeah. used to, uh, I had a distinctive ring phone number when I was with the uh, ter- terrestrial the ter- phone syndrome company. As opposed to voice over IP. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and apparently, uh, all of the miscreants in the San Fernando Valley had that number. All of them. And, you know, and police and uh, creditors were always calling, you know, where is this person and we need their money and we want to talk to them. (laughs) I'm sorry, Uh, this is my distinctive ring phone number. I have no idea who that is. I had the same phone number as the Walla Walla, Washington State Penitentiary. Hmm. It was only as, well, I'm convinced you belong there, but that's another story. Before they had the like Jackson 5, 7684, you know, that kind of stuff. It was just like, just numbers, like 447. And I like 446 or something. We're always getting calls going, how's the riot going? Well, my sister hit my, <laughs> sister hit my brother. So after that, everything is fine. Judith A. Yates. Do you always put the A in there? I do. Well, what is the book? That's the one about the women with the bank robberies, you know. It's called Put the Money in My Purse, A History of Female Bank Robbers. Yeah, that's not to be confused with Burl Hold My Purse. That's a different story, and we don't want to go down that road. (laughs) No, we don't. That's for No, no, Laurie isn't here. Matt isn't here. It was was a decent story. Now, it's interesting that um, uh, whenever I happen to have been with a lovely lady, uh, that was usually what they would say to me. Yeah, put it, put it in my purse? Yes, put the money in the purse. <laughs> I always just say, I already put it on the dresser. What are you talking about? Anyway, moving right along. Lord have mercy. <laughs> please, please. This woman's not well. We need to take good care of her. I need a hot toddy. You know, this lemon tea isn't going to work here. No. I need a hot toddy. Yeah, well, we'll send him right over. Uh, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, yes, back at the bank. <laughs> How much uh, research did you have to do to put together this compendium of criminals? 
took about four years. Wow, that's a lot of time. Yeah, I was digging in some very musty files because I took this book all the way back to 1800s. Notice that. I research. That's the same year they built the tea kettle that we're hearing in the background. I think it was. I think they were learning how to mine copper or something back in the day there. Yeah, so yeah, the what makes you think of um, women bank robbers? Well, it's it's one of those things. I always I always say my ideas start with very dangerous words called I have an idea. Yeah, that's, that's a problem right there. But I was reading a study by the FBI on bank robbing statistics, and I thought, you know, I'm a female criminologist who writes and lectures about female perpetrators, and I thought, I wonder how many females have robbed banks, and that started it. And there aren't any books specifically on female bank robbers as a whole. You know, there's Patty Hearst and the SLA, but there's it's always about the group kidnapping her, or it's always about her specifically. Or you read about the Wild Bunch, Butch Cassidy, with a few females thrown in there, but there's nothing specifically about the history of women robbing. People use bring as being a masculine crime career. And they Parker in there of Bonnie and Clyde, but Bonnie never robbed a bank. Or Bob Barker, who never robbed a bank. So I'm going to throw in some of that as well. So that's what I did. <laughs> Go throw in people that never robbed banks in a book about bank robbers? Didn't uh, Ma Barker just have her sons do it? Well, she wasn't even part of it. She spent the money, and she stayed at home, and she watched after her darling boys, but she never took part in any of the criminal activities. Well, that wasn't the way in the movie with What's-Her-Name from the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> yes, uh, Shelley Winters. Wasn't yeah. that a good movie? <laughs> yeah, anytime <laughs> Shelley Winters is... She's too good an actress I, to be in that film. <laughs> I loved her. I mean, that movie was so... I love B-movies anyway, but yeah. I liked her. Shelley Winters, I like Yeah. Kelly? <laughs> you ever saw that you, one? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's another great one. It has really nothing to do with reality at all. <laughs> no, kind of like any of the Bonnie and Clyde films. There's nothing to do with reality there. I mean, it was all... I watched I watched the very first few minutes of the last one, and I just turned it off, and what, I thought, what, okay, what, what, what was that, Butch and Cassidy at the Sunday Down Ranch or something? <laughs> no, no. Um... <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, it wasn't Mrs. Sundance, was it, with the, what's her name? Um, he did uh, oh, Bugsy Siegel. He played Bugsy Siegel in the movie. What's oh, Warren Beatty. Yeah, Warren Beatty's version of... Uh, oh, that was ridiculous. That was just plain ridiculous. Well, the, God, the thing is, that I'm not much of a lover. Of course, maybe... Oh, I know. Maybe you saw the picture of the real Bonnie, and <laughs> that's what did it. Right? She was a lot taller than Clyde in real life. He was about, you know... No, she was actually very tiny. She wasn't what? even five foot. And what? he was barely five foot four, five foot six. Well, people were shorter back in those days. <laughs> that must have been it. Yeah, kind of like Alan Ladd. In the picture, she looks big. <laughs> Yeah, Faye Dunaway and, and what's his name? Yeah, I mean, they were a lot better looking in the movie than they were in real life. They certainly were. Yeah, and Faye Dunaway, I remember she was saying she was the best Bonnie Parker there, and I thought, yeah, right, okay, whatever. Yeah, David <laughs> Bitham Bonnie. Bonnie voted. <laughs> yeah, she was she was the best Bonnie Parker ever. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. That's a great quote. I'm going to put that in the book. So there. why don't we start from the beginning? In the beginning. We have to have a bank before you can rob it. When did right, banks... and I, I discussed the building of the first bank. 
in what was considered the first bank robbery, but it was actually just a burglary. Well, that's, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, the I know. Con- you know, the concept of having a central location to hang on to your money, uh, I guess, was um, new. Well, how did how did they convince people? You know, we'll take care of it and we'll help you. Maybe they did. Well, it was sort of the government saying, "Here's what we're going to do," and they did basically. <laughs> well, that was that was the central bank, but not necessarily where an individual would go and put money. Yeah, well, do- banks were all basically just you know a, a business that someone put together in that you know in that town, and that was it. What a- right, and it was it was the central bank was after the war with Great Britain, and of course the American Revolutionary War, and and the United States was basically just busted. They were owing money to everybody: uh, France, Netherlands, Spain, mm. and. You know, money's turning useless. Alexander Hamilton, he's got this great idea. And, you know, another another myth that I exposed was everyone said that Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to replace the eagle, or right. rather in lieu of, and right. that's absolutely not true. Benjamin Franklin didn't even want a bird as a symbol. And when they used the eagle as a symbol, he wrote a family member and said, it looks more like a turkey. That's how that started. Mm. Well, that's a good rumor, however. It was. As rumors go. Well, you know, the eagle represents the dichotomy of a nation. You know, the olive branches in one and the arrows in the other talent. Yeah, well, some have more talents than others. But getting back to the bank robbers... Yellow fever and the first U.S. bank robbery. What's the what's the relationship between yellow fever, which isn't a dance move? And, it is not. No, and the first U.S. No. bank robbery. The yellow fever was, of course, just raging across the the United States, and there was a blacksmith, and he uh, his name was Patrick Lyon. And he was packing up, he was in Philadelphia, which was, of course, at the time, the nation's largest city. And he and his 19-year-old apprentice, apprentice were healthy. They hadn't been touched by it, thankfully. And he was saying, okay, you know what, we're getting out of here. And prior to him leaving, he had done some work on the Bank of Philadelphia with the locks and the pins on the safe. Hmm. So they get out in Delaware, and they hear that someone robbed, again, burglarized the bank. And it had to be an inside job. So he's thinking, oh, no, I've got to get back there because I sound like I could be, you know, I could be a a suspect. Mm -hmm. So he returns to Philadelphia to clear his name and say, look, I'm the person who did the repairs on the locks and and such, the... um, the actual where they're they're holding the money and i just want to tell you click click they put you know handcuffs on him and they throw him in the gallows and there he stays for quite a long time until they find the actual burglars Hmm. and the man's name was isaac they had been the inside man and then they had a bank porter and there was a third team member but that third team member had caught the yellow fever and he was dead by the time they rounded everybody up 
the burglars said, yeah, you know, it was me. They talked to it. So they get Patrick Lyons out of jail, and it was, gosh, sorry, see, you wouldn't want to be a. And Patrick Lyons said, uh, no, um, I want a full pardon. I want a, you know, a uh, money because I spent a long time in jail. And they gave him a lot of money, and he went on to do other things. He became an inventor. And he had a portrait painted of him with the Walnut Street Jail in the distance, which mm. I thought was pretty clever of him. Yeah. The guys that were guilty of the actual robbery because they turned the money over, they were told, okay, well, we knew or, or jail you. Really? And that's how Yellow Fever... Take part. Where the guys rob the bed back, give back the money. <laughs> well, his brother called him up and asked. Yeah, his brother, Two Gun Heart. Yep. <clears throat> Two Gun Heart was a law enforcement, and the, the brothers agreed that they would leave each other alone. And there was a big, that big robbery, so he contacted us. Nah, help here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Baby, give the money back. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the money. Yeah, give us the money. Give us the money back. Okay, so yeah, who, wh where do we get the first woman to actually do a bank robbery? Well, the first recorded bank robbery by a woman was in 1897. Whoa, a long time. And yeah, she was she was something else. I I sort of found her really interesting, and I actually kind of liked her. Her name was Cora Hubbard. And she and their, her husband and a hired hand and her brothers decided they were going to rob this bank and, you know, make all kinds of money. And so as they're sitting at the table planning it, Sarah says, I will not be married to a, a bloody coward. And I'm sorry, a damn coward. And she, um, she takes off with the rest of the guys and they rob a bank. Mm. Now, what's interesting is how the newspapers made Cora out to be woman, you know, just brazenly busting in with pistols drawn, shooting at the townspeople. And really, she's with the horses. <laughs> with the, the Galloway driver. In, <laughs> with the, the motor running on the horse. <laughs> and she, because um, the horse all interviewed her. And they said, were you scared? And she said, not one damn bit. I would have shot up the town if I could have. Hmm. Well, that's, that, that's not always, just going to trial. <laughs> they always talked about her saying she is coarse as a man. She's not attractive, but she shoots and she um, drinks whiskey and she cusses. Uh oh, that's a sure sign of trouble right there. <clears throat> oh, you know it. <laughs> so they always want you know. They always said right away how ugly she was and how much she drank and how much she shot guns and rode horses. Yeah, that figures. When in doubt, <laughs> demonize him. <laughs> so they demonized her and they lionized her, and then when she got out of prison, they said, "Well, she's turned into a lady because she learned how." That's the telltale sign, right? Okay, that time there. Right, and that's one of the things I did in the book is I explained how. The world was for a woman at that time period. Now, I only saw women who actually went into the bank and robbed it, with some exceptions. Cora being one of them because she's the first recorded female. What about but, the... Uh, what I focused on the time period. And I saw a strong correlation between what was going on in this country 
along with what was going on with these females. That's good. And interesting enough, not a lot has changed because if a woman is attractive, they get monikers like, you know, the beauty bandit or the Barbie bandit <laughs> yes, or, right. you know, the model bandit. But if they look like a moose. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was one group called uh, was Hollywood Bandits or something. Huh. Amazing. Well, who was the wild bunch in skirts? Oh, that would be... Sorry, I, was, I had a call drop. Yeah, Queens of the Wild. That would be at a place and Laura Bullion. Now, they hung out with the uh, Cass Ants group, and they were the two women who where Robert's Roost was. To this day, we don't know where Robert's Roost was, which is where Cassidy and Sundance, hmm. which tells you quite a few bows. She, um, she basically, you know, she hid the money. And she with them and hold horses while they were hitting the the trains. Marble Ace, she was uh, his love, but she did rob one bank when they were in South America. Uh, she was the one that was Catherine. it at the drive-in theater with my grandparents at the Trail Drive-In in San Antonio. I remember seeing it. There's a, a a legend that um, w the open uh, wherever Hoffman happened to have been. He decided to check and see how the movie was doing and, you know, get stand in the back and see the reaction and stuff. They wouldn't let him in the theater <laughs> because it was rated M. And he was too young? And he was too young. Well, that's like Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver. She couldn't go to she the movie. She couldn't go see the movie, yeah. That's the, I don't know if it's true, but that's the, that's the myth that's out there. Who was it that they wouldn't let in? They, uh, Hoffman. They really? wouldn't let him in the theater because he wasn't accompanied by an adult. Interesting. Yeah. Poor Dusty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he survived, however. So I got it. There's a picture in your book of uh, Edda, and she doesn't look that. She doesn't look homely. She's thinking. not. You know, it, there's there's two known pictures of her. Of course, one is taking at a distance, so who knows? But she was uh, she was known to be very attractive, very soft spoken, very worldly. Um, so, you know, and nobody really knows where she came from. She could, there's, there's stories about she was a school teacher. She was a rich woman from down south. She was a prostitute in Texas. And yet she was a, she was a very good shot with a rifle and a handgun. She was an expert horseman. So, you know, who knows? Because back then nobody kept records. If you were born, maybe your, your birth was recorded in a Bible. So that was about the extent of it. And she was kind of one of these mystery women that people are still, you know, she's interesting because, and I think that's why people find find her so interesting still, that she was an attractive woman. And even um, the, the Pinkertons would even put that on her wanted poster. Damn. But it was the Pinkertons that messed up her name because she was actually known as Etta. But they wrote Ethel, and from then on, she was known as Ethel, and she took the last name of Place because that was Sundance's mother's name. Huh. So nobody's really sure what her name, what her true name was back in the day. Huh. And we don't know whether or not she owned a bicycle. Exactly. Eating an apple. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Or a dirt bike. Now, a dirt now bike. you talk about J. Edgar Hoover. 
and him creating monsters. What what role did J. Edgar of our wonderful Federal Bureau of Investigation play? And lovely cross-dresser. Yeah, I was going to say, for aside from borrowing their clothes, what... J. Edgar is not the most interesting fellow. He really is. Um, one of the things that Hoover did with the FBI, well, with the public, is he wanted, of course, is really sort of an interesting publicity man. And if he couldn't catch the big names, then he was going to catch the little names and make them out to be the big names. Ah, smart. See? So what he did is he took the little names, like Ma Barker, and he was going to make her out to be this monstrosity, you know, this evil woman who, you know, (laughs) and walking in with, you know, shotgun blazing and, you know, this hellcat with these evil devil kittens. (laughs) And basically, she was just this dowdy old woman that listened to hillbilly music or went to the moving picture shows while her boys were being bad. And he just made her out to be public enemy, you know, number uno. And just so when they finally the, the, the public me. ate it up, and boy, she was she was somebody to get. So that when they did kill her, the you know the FBI guys made sure that they had their pictures made with her. See what we did, like a trophy, like you would do with you know a deer or with yeah, they strapped her across the hood of the car. <laughs> yeah, you know, so he'll wear. You know, look what we got. Okay, you shot this dowdy old woman. With one shot, instead of getting these, you know, public enemy number one guys, but see, that's how he did it. He played it up. If it wasn't going to be these ones. On a side note, did you ever read his correspondence with Adolf Hitler? I did not. And Hitler said that Hoover should run for president. If he had any trouble, Hitler says to kind of make that he won the election. Really? Yeah, it's a fascinating read. To him? Yeah, prior to, us, prior to us going to war with Hitler, yeah. Really? Yeah. I need to see that. Yeah, look look it up. You'll find it fascinating. They had quite a correspondence. Uh, Hitler just thought that J. Edgar was on the right track clothing selection. <laughs> Everything went to hell, and they were like, no, we don't know that guy. <laughs> no, never heard of him. No, no, he's our enemy. Uh, Stella Dixon, not so sure shot Stella. We know what's interesting is everybody's all about Bonnie and Clyde, you know, but but Stella Dixon and her man were just as important. And they really were, it sounds kind of stupid, but they really were the true Bonnie and Clyde, her and Ben. And Stella, as a very young girl, had been, had been raped and beaten. And the treatment then was was very nasty for for such a thing. And they didn't even bother telling her why they were doing this. They were basically doing this treatment for her. Well, it got out that she had been raped. And back in the day, girls like that deserved it. Or what were you doing with that man at the end of the road? Or what did you do to have him do that to you? Yeah. Or, you know... Must they got be. around town that she was a slut and she was a tramp. So she steals some checks from her mama's wallet and she hits town. She meets up with this fellow named Ben. And they just fall madly in love and they hit the road. Well, Ben had already been in and out of prison's revolving door. He was just ambidextrous when it came to pushing the revolving door. <laughs> and 
they hook up and they rob banks together. And they truly, truly loved one another. Wow. See, and, of that's... course, they get caught. And Stella is still a kid. You know, she's in her teens. And they get busted. Um, I'm sorry, let me back up. Ben gets shot and killed, here we go, by the FBI in the back while he's running away. Mysteriously, there's a gun on him when the ambulance drivers pick him up and take him away. Mysteriously, in the FBI report, he's shooting back at them. While he's running backwards. <laughs> no, while he's running forward and trying to get a door to open. Ah, the one in the prison, probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, again. So, Stella is going to go to court, and the judge is going to, um, you know, find her. At the time, you could be found innocent only because your husband was in on the crime and a woman or a wife could be found innocent because, quote, your husband made you do it. Nah, good ah. thinking. That's, you know, that's, that's a, better than the devil. That's the simplest way to explain it. But see, Hoover contacts the judge and says, no, she's this hellcat kitten of a bank robber, you know, slammer. And that's what they did. They threw her in the slammer. For how so long? she serves some time. She gets out. She becomes an abiding citizen. She marries. She divorces because that guy has not been. And she leads this, you know, this very interesting life, actually. She becomes involved in a union for uh, checkers because she starts working at Kmart. And she does some very good things in her life for um, checkers, is what they call them, but they work, work in the reg cash registers. And she becomes involved in uh, animal rescue, but she always had money. Uh, was it from bank robberies? Who knows? Maybe they stashed some. It's always possible. She always had money, and she always left to be until her dying day. Ah, oh. oh. that's a romantic story. Now, uh, in part, uh, I guess it'll be part four of your book. Rosie the Riveter robs a bank. Now, <clears throat> this has uh, personal implications to me because my okay, mother and sister were, in fact, Rosie the Riveters. They were in Santa Barbara, uh, you know, working on uh, airplanes and ships and riveting whatever it was they pointed them at. So did your, wow. did your relatives rob banks? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. They they were, you know, portly and short and couldn't run very fast. <laughs> so okay, no. that takes care of that. So you said, about World War II is a turning point, guns, girls, child brides, showgirls. What, uh, what sociological and bank robbery changes were going on then? Well, as, you know, as just mentioned, is women were learning that you didn't have to stay at home and be the wife, raise the kids. Gee, sorry. Okay. Easy. You didn't have good to stay night. at home, raise... Yeah, that was a good exclamation point for that. Uh, they didn't have to stay at home and raise kids. They could go out there and they could get jobs. They had to get jobs because it helped put the war on. So they were given a, a, a job and a title and they're going out there and they're building ships and they're building airplanes and they're testing them and in munitions factories. I mean, they're given a very important role in society. 
they're raising gardens for, you know, locally. They're doing all of these things to help win the war. And well, too, bad, too bad the that, war ended. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible. Yeah, it is. I knew isn't something it? terrible was coming along the pike. Yeah, it's true <laughs> in one way. He was saving that up. Yeah. Saving that up. That was, uh, and, I, uh, I remember uh, from family that that was quite a shock for the returning servicemen uh, to come back to a newly independent wife. Exactly. Exactly. And here, here the women are in the workforce, and then they're told, okay, we don't need you anymore. They're back, and they want their jobs back, and they need their jobs back, so see, you wouldn't want to be you. Yeah. Thanks for your service. Yep. See ya. Go back yep. to go back to cooking and cleaning. Yep. And women were like, "Wait a minute. We like this. A paycheck in the bank is nice, even though we'll never make what men make in the same position." And you know, here's this turning point for us. Well, men were coming back. Also, what at the time, of course, they're calling it shell shocked, but it's PTSD. And almost like today, there's just almost no resources for a soldier returning with addiction or PTSD. And so a lot of the women, they had soldiers returning that were abusive or addicted. And there's really nowhere for these women to go because there are no jobs. And they're living in these abusive homes or they have no jobs for them that are going to pay as much as a woman's job. Man, so many of them were just stuck, and some of them retaliated, or they needed money to get where they wanted to go. So they robbed a bank. Yep. Did any standout uh, standout individuals in that area, or they're just kind of a blend of individuals taking the initiative to get some extra loot? Oh gosh, uh, a lot of them. Um, there was a. Um, there was there were several. There was the family that robbed a bank together. There was a, a mother and a daughter, along with their son. They all robbed a bank together. Well, that's nice. um, because they needed the money. They were also professional burglars. Their whole house was decorated in stuff they stole. <laughs> um, well, that was there was, she didn't have an education. She didn't have a good place to work where she made enough money. She wanted to move on, and she stuck up a bank. And then there was um, another woman that she was stuck in an abusive relationship, so she wanted out. She robbed the bank. Hmm. Well, I guess that makes sense. But they all got caught. Oh, yeah. Because if they got away with it, maybe we wouldn't know who they were. There must have been some who got away with it. I'm sure there were. Um you know, if you go to the FBI's website now, and they've got males and females that are still um, on the loose, on the large for bank robbery, and it's kind of interesting because there's a woman in a burka, and it's, have you seen me? Uh, how are you supposed to identify her? <laughs> you know, uh, but... Three times is usually the charm. You can usually rob one once, you can rob one twice, but if you rob one the third time, you're usually going to get caught. Now, I interviewed, for the book, a serial robber, and she robbed uh, maybe two banks, and she got caught. She went to prison, she got out, and she robbed a few more. 
Well, she knew how to do it. She just had to refine her skills. She did, you know. She And she told me she was kind of scared. But see, it's honestly a, an easy, it's an easy crime. You go in with a note, you get the money and you leave. <laughs> but the average take is only $1,500. So you're going to have to go back is, is the ideal. But you're eventually going to get caught. Right. <clears throat> or you but could be the... Well, you could be the idiot. You could be the idiot that Mark often mentions, the guy who has them fill up the bag. Yeah, uh, yeah. He got the. He went uh, to the far right, and I guess he was Jewish, working <laughs> right to left through each teller, uh, collecting the money, making sure not to pull the alarm trip bill, and gets all the cash in a bag. He gets to the last woman who has the money ready for him and he hands him the her the bag and she starts to put the money in and she says no 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 count it count it up so she counts the money and he hands her a deposit slip with his account and she fills the deposit slip out hands him the receipt for the deposit and he leaves Gina what if they caught him (laughs) I found another schmuck in another state <laughs> who robbed the bank and then deposited the money in the at the ATM. <laughs> Come on. You know, well, I do have a woman that was, uh, she didn't have an arm from the elbow down, Ooh, and she walked in with a uh, kitchen uh, steak knife. And... Uh, she walked in and waved the steak knife at the teller, and she said, give me all the money, and the teller said no, and she ran out. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> what are you going to do, I shoot, think her, so. shoot her with a knife? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, uh, Hollywood likes to um, play up these incidences as as violent. You know, the opening scene of uh, Wild Bunch, Sam Peckinpah. You know, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, yeah. Um... Which I think is one of the best movies ever. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, any of the any of these uh, women get in, involved in a shootout or or any violence? Well, there's the SLA. Well, well yeah, but that was you know she was just brainwashed. What do they call that? The Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. She wasn't brainwashed. I'll argue that all day. That I don't. I don't agree in brainwashed. And I don't agree that she joined. I agree in a little of both. I think they just made but her do it. I think their the truth is always in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a part of her that joined to survive, that and I think sense. there was a part of her that joined to join. I mm. think you're probably absolutely right. Now, at first I thought there was a, a story about Rosie O'Donnell, but it's Rose O'Donnell. <laughs> I made the like same Rosie mistake O'Donnell. when I first looked at it. No, it says her wanted to send and Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, it's Rose O'Donnell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Wanda Descendi and Rose O'Donnell, they were the first to be caught on camera. Ah. So did they get away with it or did they get caught on camera and caught in person? <laughs> Exactly, both. They had set up the camera. They had decided, see, we, they had already used these hidden cameras in the military. And this one bank had been writ, uh, robbed so many times 
But they said, wait, what if we use these in, you know, banks? Okay. So they set this bank up in the ceiling, and they said, tomorrow we'll come back and test it and, uh, you know, move around and, and tweak it a little and make sure it's focused, blah, blah. Well, they didn't have to because that next day the bank got robbed. <laughs> and they were with this fellow they had just met at a lunch counter, they say. And they walked in, and the fellow's language was so coarse, and there were some little grannies in the bank. And the woman who pushed the button said, it wasn't because they were robbing the bank. I pushed the button because he was saying some nasty words around these grannies, and I wanted the cops to come in and get hold of him. So... Sure enough, the you know the and the girls were you know just cool as clabber. One of them walks behind the counter and they get the money and they run and the other girl is driving, and they track them down. Now here's what's interesting: is in one photo, all of these guys are circled around this camera because they had to take it out of the ceiling. They had to develop the film. They had to set it up just like one of those old time projectors. Yeah. And they had to watch the video. So here's all of these guys surrounding this video to watch what they captured. The woman who actually pressed the button to catch the very first bank robbers on record, she's pushed way to the back. Why? That's not fair. And she's trying to see what she, she's, uh, you know, in, in law enforcement and criminal justice, she... She's got a name in 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 the in the annals of history, but she shoved way to the back because you know this is a man's job. But nonetheless, they did catch those two chimps and him. And there is an interesting picture in the book where it's a picture of the three robbers reading about themselves and looking at the picture of them <laughs> on camera robbing the bank. Now that's cool. That's that's cool. <laughs> Do you remember beepers? Beepers. Beepers. No. Yes. They, uh, you know, they, you know, about the size of a box. Oh, oh a beeper! Pack- I thought that was the name of a movie. No. <laughs> you know, about the size of a package of cigarettes, right, right. and it would be. I had one. And it had a little phone num- the number would come up. Yep. Um, it's a interesting bank robbing trivia. Uh, when they were first built, they would beep, and the phone number would, you know, what number to call. And. A IBM technician was at a bank fixing a printer, and a bank robber a bank robbery was in progress. Everyone was told, you know, get down to the you know the whole schmeal. And during the robbery, his beeper went off, beep 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 beep, and one of the robbers was startled, turned, and shot the man. Kill him? Yes. Oh, that's too bad. And within. Three months, uh, IBM came out with the vibrating option on a beeper. Interesting bit of trivia. Really? That's where the vibrating came from on your phone. Yeah, yeah. Mine used to go off all the time. I hated the damn thing. Oh, That's I used to call it though. my electronic dog leash. <laughs> electronic dog leash? <laughs> and That's then now we're stuck to our stupid phones. Right? I know, right? Right. There goes the honeymoon. Carolyn Sue McQueen. <laughs> oh, Carolyn. She had not been married, but was it hours? And she robs a bank so she can run off with a girl 
Now, of course, that well, wait a minute. Little details. Look, getting confusing here. <laughs> <laughs> details weren't in the uh, weren't in the um, the newspapers or the uh, police reports or anything. But yeah, she robbed a bank, and she and the girl were standing at the train station when they were busted. Wow. I bet her husband was upset. He was. He divorced her. I'm not surprised. I got an annulment. Did you come across any cases where the uh, where they got away with it? Well, then how would they get caught? They got well, away. I mean, you know, later on down the road, information came yes. out. Yes, and it's interesting you say that because, as far as we know, they're the youngest bank robbers on record. Oh, and they were 12, never caught. Right? What's that? The youngest bank robbers on record, and they were never caught. Really? Was it like our gang or something? <laughs> Alfalfa, hand me the money. Two girls. Uh, one was 12 years old, they think. Wow. That is weird. They got away with it. Yep. Well, you know, uh, take the money and run. Uh, yeah, what did they do with the money? But bought some Barbie dolls. Who knows? I know, right? Actually, there were two girls called the Barbie doll... Uh, Robbers. Well, they have really long legs and tiny waists. They were hookers. Well, that helps. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. They weren't hookers. They were dancers at a place called Shooters. <sighs> they got caught. Notice Burrow gets very quiet. They got caught. They did. Mm. Well, they didn't wear... Um, they didn't wear uh, a disguise. They wore what they called their stunner shades. They wore big, um, dark glasses, uh, sunglasses. Oh. And they giggled the whole time because <laughs> they had an inside man. Oh, of course. Well, of course. Usually you do. I mean, we've had our pal Punch, the uh, former Jim Heist mastermind, and Rob did three bank robberies. One bank he did twice. <laughs> and uh, they always had an inside person. Unfortunately, well, yeah. the, the inside person got shot by one of Ooh. the by one of the bank robbers. This woman who was the inside person. She happened to go into the restroom at the time of the robbery. She came out and startled one of the guys, and they didn't. Oh no! And the, the the guns were just for show. They weren't supposed to have any bullets in the chamber. This guy didn't follow instructions, and he was so startled he turned and shot the woman. She lived. Oh God! Uh, she got shot in the stomach, which is very painful. Uh, she went to the hospital, but uh, Punch said we made sure we gave her double her her share of the money as payment. Oh God! But usually they would just go well, in as if they were doing a uh, uh, with credentials, like they were following up on potential bank robberies. You know, go over the clipboard and everything, <laughs> and go in, take stuff out of the vault, and say thank you and leave. Good Lord! Yes. Were, were any well, they of there were the uh, the Starlet Bandits in California, and they were actually prostitutes, and they had this pimp. And the pimp found out that robbing banks was safer and more lucrative than having prostitutes. So, pretty soon, the prostitutes were robbing banks, and then prostitutes would show up at his door and say, "I'm going to rob a bank because it's safer and a lot less trouble than walking the streets." And he had his prostitutes turn into bank robbers and he's pimping out bank robbers well that's an interesting career path 
Um, how it long is. did they get away with For everybody this? involved. Did they get away with this for long, all of them, or just some of them got caught? Uh, they eventually got caught, and one of the reasons why is because he was on parole and he wore an ankle bracelet. No. <laughs> it's hard to run from the law when you get an ankle bracelet. So, yeah, he kind of ruined it for everybody. What about Linda Marsh? What happened with her in the Yuletide season? Here goes Christmas. Oh, Linda Marsh. That was just a cluster. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> it was interesting because at the same time in the newspaper, there's a photo of a lady robbing a bank. And then down below, there's an article about a horrible shooting. And it turns out that Miss Linda Marsh was involved in both. Hmm. Linda Marsh is living in this very sketchy part of town, and she's got a roommate who has several kids. And twas the night before Christmas, mm-hmm. Linda Marsh shows up with a few fellas that she knows, and everybody's drunk, and they show up at their house. And the roommate lets them in, and they're all talking and milling about. And a few of the kids come out into the living room, and all of a sudden the door busts open, and guys are at the doorway just blam, 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 blasting out shots. Right away, the roommate is killed. Linda Marsh takes a, a dive to the floor to protect one of the, one of the kids, that, a baby, really, that's wandered into the area. And another guy is shot, another guy is shot, and the dudes throw down their guns and run. Now, we never got caught, don't know who those guys were. Or don't even know did. why they were shooting. The two ne'er-do-wells get picked up, the drunks, and they get taken off to the hospital. One dies the next day. The grandma shows up and takes all the kids. And then DeMars says, well, I was a witness. I can tell you exactly what happened. And the cops say, okay. So they take her to the police department. And while she's telling them what happened and what she saw, they say, doesn't she look like that lady that caught on video robbing that bank? (laughs) Oops. Yeah. Yeah. So she did not have a very good Christmas. No. Oh. What's this, what's this woman, the one who skipped school to rob a bank? Yeah, this kid. Uh, she was in high school. This is in Oakley, Ohio. And the she's going before the judge again because she'd gone before the judge prior. And the attorney says, can she be let out on bond because she wants to go to school? And the judge said she skipped school to rob a bank. <laughs> so she's not too worried about her studies and said no and stuck her in juvie. Well, it's so hard the, to get an the, education. The, the money that she stole had um, a, deep herbit, a, a a bird dog in it, and they tracked it to the mall where she was busy spending the money on clothes and stupid things. Well, some and, people uh, yeah. spend the money on pampers. I heard about that. <laughs> Robbing a I'm bank. Sorry? Robbing a bank for pampers? Yeah, right now, in, in the last 10 years, you've seen woman, uh, women robbing a bank, basically for survival. Rent money, literally pampers, milk for the baby, um, electric bills, 
every female that I've talked to that have robbed the bank in the last 10 years said, I did it to pay my bills. And I said, you didn't buy anything fancy, like a nice dress or even make a payment on a car or, you know, drugs or anything, you know. No, I paid bills. Well, that should get them less time. <laughs> mm. you, get ten, you get 10 years for bank robbery. As opposed to, uh, no, it's 10 years. Uh, statute of limitations on bank robbery is 10 years instead of seven. Did you know that? I'm sorry? Uh, the, statute, the statute of limitations, usually it's seven years. If you can get away with a crime for seven years, you're home free, except bank robbery is 10 years. 10 years, right. Mm. Yeah, there's, a, there's um, a few of them that I really wanted to interview, but their cases hadn't gone to court. There was a woman called the Freedom Robber, and now she was, boy, she had robbed three or four or five banks in each state, in three or four states. And she was a very interesting individual. Uh, she was doing it for the cause. Now, like most domestic terrorists, she really didn't have an idea what the cause was, but she was <laughs> robbing it for a cause. And um, she was quite the interesting individual. The government is taking over our minds with electronics. Oh, well, hell yeah. Cell phones were going into our ears and uh, picking up our brainwaves and sending it to the president. I mean, she was interesting. Yeah. Sounds like. Hope the president doesn't mind my brainwaves. Speaking of brainwaves, what's the deal on LSD and bank robberies with Betty Oldham? Oh my God, that's a pitiful story. She uh, <laughs> she was one of those '60s babies that decided that all the answers were in Berkeley. Yep. So she went to Berkeley and she smoked a lot of weed and she were you know she come down one day and found a lot of money in a bag and went oh. She robbed a bank under the influence. Oh, well, good for her. <laughs> so she, she decides that, well, that worked. So I wonder if it would work under LSD. I won't be afraid. I won't be. Uh, so she yeah, takes right. a hit of acid. And she robs a bank. Well, the acid didn't kick in until the bank job is going down. And it must have been some really, really bad stuff because she ends up stashing the manager's office with the gun to her head and the cops are surrounding her and they're saying, put down the gun, put down the gun. And she decides, okay, that's it. It's not working. And she puts a gun in her mouth and pulls the trigger. Oh, but no. she lives. Yeah, she lives. She lives? Oh, She must yep. be a bad shot. Did she hurt herself? <laughs> Yeah, so, yes. but she wasn't sure where she was or who she was or what happened. Must have been damn good stuff. Yeah. Probably some of those purple Owsleys. Yeah, she's not doing so good. She wasn't, so she had to live in a special hospital where she had to be fed and walked. Oh, and, that's awful. That's awful. That's what I'm saying. That was a horrible story, and, you know, it's a very sad story, and, uh, you know, so much for Berkeley and peace, love, and war, not war, and... Oh. I thought that was incredibly sad that that happened. Um, you know, there, there's some sad stories in here. There, there, you know, where you go, like, why did you know why did this have to happen? And this one of these ideas that turns out so horrible. And how did society contribute to this woman's misery? And 
So I, I think there's a, a good mix of stories where you just kind of laugh and go, okay, well, and then some that are interesting historically, and then some that are just downright pitiful. Well, all the book, the, the all book. these stories are in Put the Money in My Purse, A History of Female Bank Robbers by Judith A. Yates. Yep. Well-known criminologist, instructor, teacher, seminar leader, and true crime author, and brilliant woman with a bad case of the flu. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. Always a pleasure. Carl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Ben Allen, the Jimmy's Executives, live from the Light of Lounge, on OutRadioLive.com. of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, the following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. The guy sitting over there, Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact-checker and co-host. And today, all the way from England... Jeanette Hensby, are you there, you little sweetheart? Been ringing since just before 10 and just getting an engaged signal all the time, but I've kept trying. Well, you got us now. You got us now. Yep. So we're engaged. <laughs> we're very engaging. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. <laughs> but today you were minding your own business, and someone mentions to you that the house you live in, there had been a murder. That's right, yes. And you also found out that your great, 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 great times 12 grandfather on your somebody's side, father's side, had uh, been... No, 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 not oh. my great, great, great grandfather, my husband's great, great, great grandfather. No, it runs in the family. Oh, I married somebody with murderous genes, you <laughs> knew that. I, I take him back <laughs> to the tailor. I have, yeah. I have. You figured, I'm going to investigate these stories and print them under an assumed name so no one can be mad at me. Yes, well, that wasn't the real reason. The real reason, the, there are five stories in the book, um, but the last two happened not too far from where I live, uh, and the murderers who committed it are just so evil. Wow. Uh, I just had this little panic. I thought, if they ever let, if they ever let them out of prison, which they can well do in this country, they, you know, they let some strange people out, mm-hmm. they might come looking for me. So I thought I abandoned it. I said, I'm not publishing this book. Uh, and then I had all kinds of pressure put on me, saying, oh, you know, you've, you've written it, publish it, publish it. So I thought, I'll do it under an assumed name. But well, everybody we'll, seems to know it's me. Yeah, we all know it's you. <laughs> I know. Put your, your picture Alfred. on the cover of the book with a day giveaway. <laughs> is, the cover, is my picture on the cover? No, of the it's not, but I put your picture up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. you've outed me, haven't you? Yeah. Hey, psychos, here she is. <laughs> so tell us what you found out in your research about these stories, especially about the, right. dead, the dead body in your house. Right. 
we, we moved in in 2017 and straight away, and, and it is a detached house, it didn't join on to any other houses, there aren't any other houses very nearby. And there were these strange knocking noises, you know, knocking and bangings on, on the walls. And the worst one was one night I woke uh, uh, in bed early hours of the morning and there was just this frantic banging on the bedroom door. You know, like if wake up, your house is on fire, you've got to get yeah, out. So I, I had, I had, to the door. I had that happen. The woman was frantically banging on my bedroom door because she was trying to get out. <laughs> yes. Trying to get out. Yeah, well, this you was had to get trying out to get in. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I opened the door everything peaceful and calm nothing to be seen but my husband uh, in one of the bedrooms uh, twice saw a woman bending over in the corner as if attending to somebody he saw a young man in black walk across the bedroom and an elderly gentleman standing looking out of the window across the back garden this is all before we found out about this murder and then because the um, local archives know that uh, I write books they contacted me in 2018 and said we've got um, a, a display up uh, about a an old murder in a vicarage. Well, this house that we live in was a vicarage until we moved in. She said, you might be interested to look. So when uh, it, was, it had actually happened in the house, uh, I've got an echo on this phone, it's putting me off. Um, right. We like hearing everything twice. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so it, it, it was obvious that it had happened in the house that we lived in. So that's when I researched it and found out that uh, it was a, a servant girl in the house in the mid-19th century and uh, she'd been poisoned. She'd Ooh. got an upset stomach, took some medication from the local chemist and uh, he'd given her the wrong stuff and uh, it killed her. Oh, no. no. That, he's yeah, going to lose his license over that. No, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, it, it turned out that they, they decided... That, well, you probably know because, you, you know, you write about true crime, but in, in those days when there was an inquest, the jury gave a verdict. The, you know, there was a jury and they gave a verdict. And they said uh, he'd committed manslaughter because he hadn't intended to kill anybody. Mm. Sent him for trial at Crown Court, and they decided there was no case to answer. So you know, it, it wasn't actually a murder; it was nearly a murder. Accident, so somebody yeah. got killed. I wrote in the book that my husband had seen this young woman twice. He's seen her again since then. He sees her every now and again. He does see things. <laughs> ah. Was well, she is she a nice girl? I mean, is she you know, like a little? Well, a it's very strange. Yes, it's very. Strange strange that it's a young woman that you keep seeing, not the old man looking out over the garden, or the younger man walking across the room. It's, it's the, young, uh, the young servant girl that you keep seeing, so you can form your own opinion about that. So, Burrow, any ghost experiences for you? Uh, I'm having one right now. <laughs> what, what's this thing about your, your uh, husband's great-great-great... Right, right, great-great-great-grandfather. Well, what he decided, my husband decided that he would research his family tree. And he, he soon gave it up because all his ancestors seemed to be either farmers or miners. So he said, oh, it's 
rubbish, you know. But uh, one of his aunties, who's actually the same age as him, but she's a generation above, uh, she researched and she found out that, that his my husband's great-great-great-grandfather stabbed his wife to death when he was drunk and uh, he was publicly hanged before 5,000 people. 5,000? Yeah, quite a yeah, lot. Well, yeah, they don't, didn't have TV in those days, so <laughs> yeah. public hanging, I suppose, best entertainment they got. But, but the sad part of it, the particularly sad part about it, was that his son, um, who was 16 years old, so be a witness at the trial, you know, of his father and say what he'd seen, and which he obviously found difficult. Yeah. And at the end of his evidence, he said to the judge, uh, my Lord, please have mercy on my father. And obviously the judge and jury didn't behind no. him. And I just think that 16-year-old boy must have suffered rest of his life really thinking you know could I have said something different could I have said yeah probably that, blamed, him, blamed himself yes yes the reason uh, mom's dead is I'm a bad son so my dad killed her instead of me yeah yeah and and then I had to you know go and tell the court what he'd done and mm. they hanged him so tragic horrible yeah that's uh better to I, be I'd say yeah. it's a testament to not having too much to drink Yes, one should not drink and carry a knife. <laughs> right, well, the, the night the night before he died, the night before they hanged him, he did write a letter of confession saying that, uh, you know, she'd been a good wife to him. He shouldn't have killed her. Yeah. Um, I said the same thing. And, and he, you know, he said, he implored everybody, you know, to not get drunk because these things can happen and it happened with him I just you know, I've seen that happen you know there's medical evidence that mm. if you see someone who is a angry drunk you know some people when they get drunk they get all lovey-dovey oh, yes, I love yeah. everybody and then you get people that when they're drunk they want to fight and they're mean yeah. bad and nasty mm. if mm. someone is a mean angry drunk it's not that they're just mean and angry. It is not that they're just as a drunk. It is a symptom of an undiagnosed medical condition, which usually is related to either uh, diabetes or generalized seizure disorder or epilepsy. All right. So that's well, a medical. Sorry, Karen. So how about that? Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, this man apparently, uh, it suffered a serious head injury two or three years earlier, so perhaps that's also yeah. what, what did it. His son said <clears throat> he'd never been the same since. And he said when he was sober, you know, he was a good father, good husband, but just when he got drunk, this side of him came out. So, yeah, maybe it was... Yeah. medical thing. Yeah, because they, they say it's a symptom, it's just not that you're just a mean, angry, drunk person. It's, that mm. it's not the alcohol that does it. It's the, the combination of that and your yeah. pre-existing medical condition. Mm. Kind of like, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, oppositional defiance disorder. Which oh, they, right. Yes, which they have in children. And it's also just called being an asshole. But... <laughs> Oppositional Oppositional Defiance Disorder. It oh, right. Yeah. And that's where you're just a jerk. You know, you pick a yeah. fight 
to simply yeah. show that you have the power over someone else's <laughs> mood. You get yeah. a perfectly fine day. Go, hey, stupid, what's the matter with you? You know, and right away you've got control over their mood because you pissed them off, and now they're yeah. in a bad mood. You little chuck it. Oh, I'm so powerful. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, okay, so that. Yeah. So meanwhile, people are dying all around you, or dying, dying around your relatives from the past. <laughs> Is this something that's radiating out from your gene pool that people around you start? becoming murderous well that, it makes you wonder doesn't it I mean uh, they're the only they're, they're the two with the closest connection I mean there is another story that's not in the books I didn't want people to know it was me who'd written it uh -huh. you won't remember because you've, you've interviewed so many people but last time I came on your show I talked about my how I got into writing because when I was a child my grandma told me about a murder committed by somebody she knew and then I found an account of that crime in 2014 and thought, oh, they've hanged the wrong man. So that would have been in the book, but I didn't put that one in. But shall I tell you about the, the yeah. two that put me off publishing it? Yeah, the, the one that I'm not going to tell anybody I had anything to do with this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't have anything to do with the last one. I just knew about them. Um, oh, well... Uh, yeah, before I get to that, there's another one. Anyway, I'll tell you about the last two. Um, it, it was a police inspector friend of mine. In 1980, he was at work and got a phone call from a woman saying, can you please come to whatever address? Um, because my son's been murdered. Mm. And when he got there, he said it was the worst thing he'd ever seen in 25 years of police work. Um, it, it was a disabled gentleman who'd been killed, a man in a wheelchair. Mm. He'd been stabbed, I don't know how many times. He'd had his eyes gouged oh. out. He'd had his entrails pulled out. Oh. And he'd had um, cigarettes stuffed into his empty eye sockets and into oh, his God. ears. And uh, he'd taken one of the man's crutches and sort of stuffed it into his gaping, the gaping wound in his uh, stomach. So... I think they were angry with him. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, so obviously they got to try and find this man. Didn't take long for him to find who done it, one of his neighbours. They found, they found him when they went to visit him to see what he knew about this crime that he'd murdered somebody else which was even more horrific Boy. he'd stabbed that man 500 times what? 500 he'd, uh, times? yeah he'd pulled what, out his entrails a knife in one hand and a calculator in the other I don't well he must have he pulled out his entrails Boy. and dandled them all around the room oh, and out God. of the room he lived in a a flat, you know, an apartment, and dandled him down the corridor. Oh, God. Um, and it had been his ambition from being quite a young child to be a famous serial killer. Oh, wonderful. Was yeah, that was his ambition. And he'd, he murdered two other people as well. And uh, before the um, court, you know, locked him up. I would think so. Sorry? I would think they would lock him up. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they only gave him 25 years. Only but 21? Then, yeah, for, for, and this happened in 1988, but then the Home Secretary said it had got to be uh, extended, and for him, life should mean life, but you never know. 
you know, parole system in this country does let out some strange people. Well, we have that problem here in California. And then the last case um, in the book, uh, I knew the man that got murdered personally with him. That one was very personal. With the others, I didn't actually know the murder victim. Um, But with this one, uh, I'd worked with him. He was a social worker, worked with him for many, many years. A really good man, a lay preacher, did lots of uh, voluntary work. And um, on Christmas Eve in 2012, he was walking to church on Christmas Eve, quarter to midnight, to play the organ for midnight mass at the church. Two young men, two-year-old men, spent their Christmas Eve planning how they were going to find somebody to attack. So for no reason whatsoever, they um, spotted Alan walking on his own, 68-year-old man, and just set about him, beat him about the head, left him critically injured, lying in the street, and... uh, then ran into a nearby park and somebody heard him laughing about it. So um, that one really got to me to know, you know, good man like, well, yeah. any man being murdered. And it wasn't even robbery. He'd got a watch on, he'd got a wallet, he got a briefcase with all his music in for church. Uh, it, they just did it for the fun of murdering somebody. Well, what a, what and, a nice and, hobby. And that scared me, yeah. yeah. What did they do to these uh, jerks? They make them mayor of the town, or did they lock them, lock them up? Yeah, well, one of them, I think there was only one of them, actually did the beating of him about his head. And he'd got convictions for violence before, so they've, they've given him 25 years. Uh, the other one who'd no convictions for violence and who said, you know, he was just too scared not to go along with it. He got eight years, so he's out now. Oh. But, uh, so but, not, not, much, not much punishment for attacking and killing somebody for fun. No, it's uh, definitely not. No. It's like a, uh, a similarity to my, my book, uh, Headshot, where the uh, two fellows... The guy that were sent up for murder, uh, both out, went to their high school reunion. Mm-hmm. Not that they should have been there longer. The prosecutor did a stupid thing, which is not unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, prosecutor said, first one through the door gets the deal. <laughs> not supposed to do that. First one through the door was the most innocent of the individuals. He's the one who went oh. to the cops in the mm-hmm. first place. But they didn't give him the deal. They gave the deal to the, uh, the fellow who actually committed the murder. And the deal was, tell you what, he says, here's what I'll do. When I get up on the witness stand, I'll tell how the uh, the other guys participated in the murder. And I'll, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll testify against them. If you uh, take the death penalty off the table, make it possible for me to get out on parole eventually, all that. So they said, okay. And they put it in writing and notarized it. And he got up on the witness stand God bless him. He said, those other two guys are innocent. I killed them all by myself, which he did. <laughs> but he got his deal. Did they? Yeah, because well, he, he told them he was going to lie. And right, and yeah, he didn't. He told the truth that he was the only one who did it. 
But she was the yeah. older dude. She says, no, it's all me. He says, I'm the one who killed the fellow. I get the complete full blame. Mm-hmm. And there was so many, but you said you Go ahead. As much right, anyway, uh, I, I will just tell you about the last case in the book, uh, because right. it, it was a book friend of mine oh. uh, who told me about it, and I've told her I'd mention it. Um, she's a, a woman who was brought up in uh, South Yorkshire, like myself, same town as me, but emigrated to Canada when she was about 20, when she got married, and she told me about... Um, when she was 13, there was a boy in her class whose mother got murdered by his father. Mm. And uh, that was just a typical 10-year um, gap between his father and his mother. His mother was 10 years younger. And she'd sort of taken herself out from the marital bed into the spare bedroom and said, uh, I'm only young, I'm going to have a good time. Uh, another man interested in her, so uh, he decided, uh, you know, if I, if I can't have her, nobody else is having her, so he, he killed her. And that was another one where the 13-year-old boy had to stand in court and testify against his dad because he'd seen him murder his mother oh, and uh, tr- tried to intervene and, you know, tried to stop him. So... Uh, another one who probably suffered all his life and and the man who committed it committed killed his wife uh decided he was unfit to plead sent him to uh broadmoor hospital for the insane and he hanged himself a few months later so tragedy all round yeah we don't, really write very, we, we don't write very happy stories, do no. we, Bill? No, it's not, it's not a laugh a minute. <laughs> I only I only wrote one funny true crime book. That was uh, Man Overboard, Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne. The rest All of right. it were all depressing. <laughs> but I figured, why not write a true crime book where... There aren't any mass murderers or entrails spread around the room. And the and the and the boy gets the dirt bike. And the boy gets the dirt bike. Yeah, unlike unlike mom said, kill well, they promised they promised the fourteen year old girl a brand new dirt bike if she and her little friends will murder mama's employer. Well they've got another stupid person doing horrible things. So of course the kid wants to make mom happy, do what mom says. Mom said kill, so she does. The kid, kid never got the dirt bike. Mm, I got, no. about, got about 50 years in prison, however. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. And they wouldn't even put the mother and the daughter in the same prison. That's extra punishment. Mm. <laughs> and uh, twins, uh, there's a, a show called uh, Killer Siblings that we have. Anyway, how, how, how are you? You've not been very well, have you? Are you feeling better? Oh, I, I, I feel like I'm an old man, <laughs> officially. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know the feeling. I know the yeah. feeling. Not that I'm an old man. No, old no. Woman. no. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm an old woman. But <laughs> no, I feel no, like I like an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> you got any spare old women over there, Mark? Uh, no. Uh, uh, all the old women in my life are dead. <laughs> How romantic. <laughs> oh. yeah. well, they're not old anymore, are they? Yeah, they're not getting any older. You are, they're not. <laughs> That's one way of keeping them young. Oh. So how how much time did you spend on the research for this book? Uh, I didn't spend much time on the research for it, actually, because um, 
Obviously, I knew all about. Uh, well, I had to research the actual murder of the one that happened in this house. Um, but the the one about Alan, the man I knew, you know, the newspapers were just full of it, so that wasn't hard. And the one with the police inspector friend of mine, you know, he could tell me all about it. Um, Shirley told Shirley in Canada told me about uh, that case, and then I looked up the old newspapers. So I actually spent less time than I usually have to spend on my books. And surprisingly, it's selling really, really well. I thought, you know, nobody's going to buy that because it's not a particularly long book. And it didn't have my name on it. I thought it's somebody unknown they've never heard of, but it's selling really well, so that's good. And yeah, don't argue with the money. No, I don't Don't argue with the money, never. <laughs> so if, uh, if our listeners wanted to find uh, your lovely book, where would they look? Mm. On Amazon, but obviously they would have to look for it because uh, I published it under the pen name of Jan Radford, J A N Radford. And uh, somebody, my son in law, said to me uh, recently, Well, why don't you just republish it with your own name on it? And I said, Well, I can't do that because people might think it's a different book, and I would hate anybody <laughs> to. Be buy both. They buy both of them. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd get nasty reviews on uh, on Amazon saying, this is a fraud. Yeah. yeah. Murder <laughs> and me. Murder and me by Jan Radford. <laughs> and, Burl, what's yeah. next? Magic Matt Allen of the Deepest Objective is live from the Lightning Lounge. But now on radio live.com. Come on. 